Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Join us as we delve into the fascinating world of AI and Web3 and entertainment with our guest, John Atasnasio from Toonstar. This is a special episode, I should mention, as we are live in Venice, California at Kin with a studio audience. Let's hear the audience. And alongside with our friends at Startup Coil and our great studio audience of curious technology aficionados who made this conversation possible. So let's meet John, the co-founder and CEO of Toonstar a next-generation animation network designed for the mobile age. John is an alumnus of University of Southern California, Marshall School of Business. Any other USCs in the house? Couple? Cool. And Toonstar is a Web3 animation studio at the forefront of interactive storytelling and community experiences. They are the creative minds behind the gimmicks, amazing project, an innovative community-driven animation NFT project that empowers creators and fans with creative control and commercial benefits. Let's give it up for John. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so look, Toonstar is pretty amazing. It's creating a new world of possibility for creators. And I just love to kick it off and, and engage folks with sort of the genesis of it all. Yes. So how far back should I go to like childhood? We can go, we'll go to childhood. I, I mean, we'll if, if it matters. Okay. Okay. If it's relevant. Yeah, I mean, so Toonstar, the best way to describe us is we call ourselves a Web3 story studio. I'm one of the founders. The other founder, her name's Louisa Huang, and we both come from the studio world. So we met at Warner Brothers. Before that, I was at DreamWorks and she was at Disney. So we spent a long time in the studio world. We always say better or worse, there's some good parts or some things that we think need some challenges. And basically came up with the idea for Toonstar. There were a couple of things like we were in the digital media group was our last role and we were doing a lot of experimentation at the intersection of technology and storytelling. We're involved with a group. There's, I don't know how many people remember Maker Studios. Uh, it was one of the original sort of OG MCNs. So we were on the team that was sort of trying to figure out how to like take the relationship with Maker Studios and integrate that into the broader studio. And that was a great experience, a lot of learnings. And I think what it did is it really kind of like opened our eyes to this idea of the creator economy. And this notion that creators can connect with fans directly. There was this really sort of interesting type of storytelling that was taking place. And I think that was sort of like the first like aha moment for us is like, wow, like this whole idea of direct to community, direct to consumer is fundamentally changing in a lot of ways thanks to technology. And then the other part of it is like being in the studio system, we had a chance to work on a lot of animated properties. Fortunately, and spoiler alert, I'm Gen X, so I'm a child of Saturday morning cartoons. My brother's a comic book artist, so I grew up going to Comic-Con before Comic-Con became what it is today. And it's always like animation has always been a amazing storytelling medium to myself and my co-founder. It's such a great way to build characters and character worlds. And it's also a great commercial medium. When you look at some of the most successful IP properties, they are animated properties. And so it was always odd to us that when you looked at the animation ecosystem, it was very much like a private club. And it was the same people on rinse and repeat, whether it was like writers, showrunners, voice talent. 
And that was always a head scratcher because to us, it's like, wow, this is such a great storytelling medium. Why don't more people have access to it? Do they all live in the valley too? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. They're from everywhere. But I think that was the moment where it's like, listen, like there are so many creative voices out there. There's so many diverse voices out there that aren't getting a chance to tell their stories in animation. And you sort of put those two things together and that was the inspiration for launching Toonstar. And I think the idea at the beginning was like, what would Disney, DreamWorks look like today, given sort of the tools, technologies, and sort of what's happening with creators and communities? And that's enter Toonstar. Great. And I think because you're smaller, I think that it comes with some nimbleness and agility to try some new things, right? And along those lines, you guys have really been pioneers in the AI front. We just came from and I've been at UTA talking about AI, and I understand you've been doing a lot of speaking lately on, on the topic, given how newsworthy it is and how important it is in terms of where things are going. I'd like to sort of dive into how you're using AI specifically, because I think these broader conversations are exciting, but let's get specific and really understand the use cases of this and how it applies to the entertainment industry, which we're all part of in some shape or form if we live in LA or we turn on TV or our phones, right? So let's start with the production side of the house and in AI, what have you done with AI? What's been your sort of AI journey with production? Yeah, and so on the production side and our company, we've been around for about seven-ish years. And when we launched the company, the idea is that we really were focused on this notion of like, okay, if you're going to build characters and tell stories direct to communities. And when we started, our focus was on social media. And if you're going to do it on those kind of platforms, you're going to need to come up with a completely different like production process and also build a new kind of like animation technology. And so that's exactly what we did. So we built an animation tech stack that allows us to do high quality animation very quickly. It's analogous to like a gaming engine. So there are other types of technologies out there that do a similar type of thing. But really what it's doing is it's automating a lot of the sort of like labor intensive processes of animation. So whether that's like lip syncing, facial expressions, certain movements. And in this case, we're using machine learning, which is a type of AI. That's what it's doing. And it's very effective. And we've had a lot of success with that, primarily because one, we're able to produce first and foremost, a quality product, but two, it gives us this speed. And the speed, and this is, I guess, one of our kind of like thesis, is that to go direct to community and direct to consumer, you need to be able to produce at a speed that they're accustomed to, right? So if you think about social media, people, everyone, I see people with phones, like you're on it like what, every five minutes sometimes, certainly every hour. So you're on there and there's a cadence that you expect and that's what you're looking for in terms of content and conversations. So our belief is that you need to be able to produce somewhere in that area if you wanna have success on social media. So again, the tech stack is machine learning that's helping us do this production. But I think the real benefit is the speed, the quality and the speed. And then what that does, it allows you to have these really unique interactions with the audience because all of a sudden now, you're creating characters that live in social media and you can have these conversations near time, almost real time, but there's a heavy cadence to it. And now all of a sudden, you have a deeper connection to the characters, the content. Also, the content becomes more relatable because what you can do is you can drop in timely topical things. Like we do a lot of like pop culture type narratives. And so we can take something that's trending and all of a sudden drop that into the storyline. Now all of a sudden it feels more relevant and relatable. And again, all those things, the goal is to deepen the connection with the audience and that character. 
I think that's a interesting sort of use on the one use on the production side. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a critical part of the puzzle that was missing otherwise to create a type of animated content that is very relatable to the current attention span of today's yeah. consumer. <laughs> right. So what's the time savings there? If you could quantify it, having, you know, you're an OG in the world of yeah. animation yeah. relative to where we were before. Again, this is like, there's a spectrum of how long it can take to do animated content. But traditionally, animated content, if you look at a series that is on a network, right, those can take up to 18 months to produce, sometimes up to two years to produce. Now, there's obviously a variation on that, but that's what you're looking at in terms of like something you might see on network TV. We're doing episodes in a week. And one, this is like a fun fact, and this is sort of some of the stuff we were doing prior to Web3 we've got the largest animated channel on Snap Discover. And the thing that actually gets, is sort of like, I think underappreciated about Snap is that the audience we get actually is bigger than what you would see on a network TV. And I think a lot of people don't either know that or don't sort of give it the credit that it probably should get. But that's, I think, a really key way to leverage it. I'm doing the math in my head. I think it's at least like 60 to 80 times faster yeah. than where you are. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I was trying to do the math too, and that's faster than <laughs> I was doing. But to sort of break it down, it's like we can do a five, call it a five to eight minute episode in a few days. So that gives you a sense of how quickly you can do it. Now, bump that up against a network episode. Generally, those run about 22 minutes, but that's about the speed that we can do. And interestingly, the thing that actually sort of slows it down a bit is less on the production side. It's more on the creative development side, which is the story writing and sort of storytelling part of it. So this crazy flashback came to my mind that I probably am not supposed to share out loud, but with the old election with Obama... There in the Gangnam Style trend, I had this idea to make a Gangnam Style Obama video go viral, and I ran out of time, and someone else did it because it took too long for my animator to right. do his magic. Right. right. But yeah. if I had the technology you had, I would have beat College Humor to the punch. That's right. Exactly. Yes, you could have been. Right. It could have been relevant <laughs> and had that viral <laughs> totally, video moment. Yeah, totally. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, but you're also messing around on on other sides with the characters too, right? Yeah. So that's one use case. And again, like on the production side, we've been using that for years. And you mentioned, so our first project in Web3 was a project called The Gimmicks. We co-produced it with Mila Kunis, and it was actually the first weekly community-driven animated series in Web3. And we had a lot of success with that. Community's been great. We just launched our third Web3 series in a year. Two weeks ago, it's called Space Junk. Space Junk stars John Heater, stars Tony Cavallero from Righteous Gemstones. And it's created by, his name's Dominic Russo. Dominic Russo is the creator of Workaholics. So you've got this crazy, talented team behind Space Junk. Creatively, which I could talk about, I don't know how much time we have, but creatively, the concept's awesome. It's about like the unsung heroes that are garbage men and women in lower Earth orbit. So it's a very, you know, we call it- It could it, be we, all of us after AI exactly, does its magic. Know, that's maybe, that could be where we're heading, exactly. But it's, we call it a workspace comedy. So creatively biased, but we think it's very funny. But the AI part of it is we actually have the first AI-voiced character in an animated series that's in Space Junk which was, it's certainly got a lot of attention. And for us, we thought it was appropriate because it's AI voicing a robot. So it's a robot voicing a robot. And we thought there was something kind of like inherently funny about that. But the cool part about it is like when you hear the voice, and this is kind of like a part of the creative process, is as we were doing the voice, it actually sounded too human for us at the beginning. And we're like, well, wait, we need to make this sound more like a robot. So we actually made it sound more like a robot because... 
part of the idea and the character, the character arc of Welbecca is that she's a robot, but as she hangs out with this crew, she starts to sound and sort of act more human over time. So it's by design. So we had to sort of back it up and say, okay, let's go more robotic. And then over time, she's going to start to sound more human. All that's done through AI. And I feel like the humans are going to be more robotic if they spend too much time (laughs) with her too, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, they might start sounding more robotic. Um, Very cool. And you didn't stop there in terms of your use of AI because you've also applied it to social, which I think is one of the more interesting use cases. I was talking to someone before I was going to interview you and they're like, yeah, I haven't heard about that. And it seems so relevant in terms of how is AI going to integrate into the social experience of learning about content and being engaged and being part of a community. So I'd love to hear about those use cases. Yeah. So, and and that's another use case we got into with Space Junk. And so the idea was first like, you know, and again, like, okay, how can we use AI in new different ways just beyond the production side? And so we're like, oh, this is cool. We have a character named Welbecca who's actually voiced by AI. What if we take her and actually make her the creative co-pilot for the community? So then we're like, okay, this could be a really great use case for character generation, for story generation. Because part of the projects we do, the the core theme to our projects are they're community-driven. They're community-driven storytelling. It's community-driven on-chain experiences, but it's all about the community and the community drives it. And so for us, it's like, well, gee, like, why can't we take AI, put the AI in the hands of the community and let them use it like chat GPT, let them use it like Dolly and Midjourney and help them create their own characters, help them create their own backstories and sort of go, but all within the space junk canon. And so what we did is we have a character, Welbecca, who is just that. And if you're a token holder in space junk, you get to go to her and she's going to help you write your backstory for your character. She'll also then help you take your backstory and then turn that into a visual representation of your character. And then she'll help you turn that into a comic panel and then turn it into an animated short. And so that all is being powered by AI in cooperation with the user, the community member, and they're working together to create this like cool thing within the Space Junk canon. And I would wager that the opportunity to co-create that experience is as valuable to the community as the output that they create. Yeah, and I mean, and I think that's what really, really we've noticed. So we have an A-B test and the A-B test is we used AI on the production side for the gimmicks, but we didn't use AI on the community facing side. And what we did for the gimmicks is we allowed the community to do the same thing. Like they could write backstories. And if your backstory, and I can't make this up, but we created a social layer. We were told it was the first social layer in Web3. And it's called the Dick Punch. And this is where it's NSFW, sort of, I guess. So is our podcast. So you're cool. fine. So, okay. I this never, audience I'm never, seems I'm up, never sure. This, seems <laughs> like, up, this audience is mature. They sign right. their waiver. Yeah, everyone seems mature. But we spell it differently. So it's DIC, which stands for Decentralized Inclusive Community. So it's very thematic to the ethos of Web3. But the cool part about it, it was a social layer. So it was our version of the Facebook poke. And what it allowed the community to do is like, if someone goes in there and you write your backstory, in this case, you weren't being helped by AI, you just go write your backstory. If the community thought your backstory was the coolest, they'd give you the most dick punches. And then you'd actually get to voice your character as a cameo in an episode, which now all of a sudden becomes like really cool because you get IMDB credit in a Mila Kunis produced animated series. And the community absolutely loved it. And all of a sudden now your character comes to life, you get to voice it and you show up in the series. 
But the first version of that was like, we didn't use AI, so it was very manual process, you did it yourself. For Space Junk, now we're using AI as, again, like you're sort of like creative co-pilot. The stuff, the amount of output and the conversion has gone 10X. And so what that's told us is like, yes, like it really helps to your question. And there are some creatives that don't want help, don't need it, and they're great with a blank sheet of paper. But I think there are a lot of aspiring creatives and people that want to tell stories that could use some help. Maybe you want some structure. Maybe you just want some ideas to riff off. And I think when you sort of look at some of the greatest storytellers of all time, they'll tell you some of their work is derivative. Tarantino worked in a, I think it was a blockbuster. Is that accurate? I think it was a movie rental. But he notoriously is someone that has watched so many movies and they clearly have influenced his storytelling. So I think there are a lot of people that can use sort of help in certain ways to still have the essence that they want to be part of the output, but just a little bit of like help along the way. You have questions about blockchain? Like how big of a block can you chain without throwing out your back? Or have you received that chain letter? How did you block it? And does blockchain taste better, barbecued or deep fried? <laughs> Luckily, you don't have to ponder these quandaries alone anymore because Blockchain Training Alliance is here to answer them and also train you in real world blockchain issues that will impact your business's bottom line and oriented future forward along the ley lines of the most important tech humanity has perfected since harnessing atomic energy. If you're into those sorts of things, Blockchain Training Alliance is a top leader in the field, counting among its clients IBM, Microsoft, Disney, Morgan Stanley, and many more, and offering a wide array of technical and non-technical courses. Whether you're a computer neophyte training for an incredible career in this new space, or a coding expert honing your skills, Blockchain Training Alliance will help you steer your ship home safely, filled with treasure. <laughs> Arg. So hurry and sign up for the Blockchain Training Alliance course that best fits your needs at blockchaintrainingalliance.com. Use discount code EDGEOF for 50% off and start your next block today. It's sort of interesting from the perspective of how people think about disabilities or impairments today versus 10 years ago. And I feel like we all have blockers in our lives where we're better at some things than others. And yet, if we didn't have those blockers, why not create a story? Why not yeah. do something outside your comfort zone? Yeah. And essentially yeah. you're enabling the community to accelerate getting uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing we found too is like, it's always helpful, like prompts are very helpful because we've done again, like a lot of A-B testing. And again, like we're always trying to figure out ways to like have our community participate in the narrative, like whether they're creating characters or help drive where the narrative is gonna go and story arcs go. And prompts are always more effective because it's a starting point and it's something you can riff off and it's something that you maybe, you know, and you can sort of move from there. And I think that's just it. It's like the aid of that prompt versus like just complete blank. So you built up your own stack, but are there tools and technologies that you recommend to folks that they can use that you've messed around with and that the audience can actually take with them and sort of mess around with at home? Yeah, I mean, so we built our, to your point, we built our own tech stack. But I would say if you want to experiment with AI, like go play with ChatGPT. Like there's a lot you can do with it. Play with MidJourney, play with Dolly. ChatGPT, if you want to produce text, if you want to produce images, Dolly and Dolly and Midjourney are great. And just experiment with it because really what happens, and I think Copilot is a good way to see this. It's like an assistant, it's a co-pilot. But essentially you're in the director's chair. And the more you play with it and the more you give it sort of a command and you give it a certain prompt and you see how it reacts, 
the more you're going to get comfortable with it and you're just going to learn and it's going to learn you because actually it will start to figure the way you think and it's going to start to give you things where you're like, oh yeah, this is better and it's getting better because it's actually figuring out what you're trying to ask it. So I think there's just get in and play with those tools. And once you're in there, it's like, wow, like they're really, really, really powerful. Cool. Well, speaking of, of powerful tools, this is Edge of NFT. And I think we at least have to go down the Web3 rabbit hole a little bit because blockchain has not exactly been fully embraced by the entertainment industry yet. We've had Fox on the show. I don't know if you all know, Fox has done some blockchain work with a new sort of studio BCL and Warner Brothers has dabbled in it. But you've really embraced blockchain for Toonstar based on what you learned from Stonercast yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. I'd love to sort of understand what you see as the strongest utility for animation and blockchain yeah. and in the type of community that you're building. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest positive use case is that it's about ownership. And I think this idea of you come in and you actually have ownership in what we're all building together and you actually have a stake in it. So if you come in and the project becomes the next South Park, becomes the next Simpsons and you play a role in that happening, you actually have some skin in that upside. So I think that is one of the big promise of it. I think the other promise is just the nature of being decentralized. And this idea that if, and again, like we've done work in Web 2 prior to Web 3, and now we're like deep in Web 3. And I think one of the challenges of Web 2 has been that because it's centralized, this idea of like, hey, I build up a community, I build up fans, and then the algorithm can change overnight. And all of a sudden now my fans go away, or I reach 5% of my community because the algorithm changed. And I think that lack of control is an issue in Web 2. And I think Web 3 and the blockchain can help solve that. And I think the last thing from a creator, because I think these benefits depend on whether you're a creator storyteller or whether you're a fan. And I think the other benefit on the creator standpoint, and I think this is what we're hoping we're trying to build, is that when you look at the traditional studio system, that's a gatekeeper economy. And I don't know how many people here are, have tried to sell a show to a streamer, you've tried to get something made. It is very difficult. It's become increasingly difficult. Even if you have had success, getting something sold is very hard. And then it's about, can you even get it made? So there are challenges, clearly, everybody has seen now in that sort of traditional gatekeeping system. And I think what Web3 provides is this new possibility of like, oh, wow, actually I can go get something made. I can reach an audience directly and I can control it, I can own it. And hopefully through that, we're gonna have new stories and characters that weren't getting made in the traditional system. So. I think a lot of Web3 folks have sort of gone through that hopium experience where they had this full vision of unlimited possibility, but reality has hit and there's been use cases that have worked and use cases that haven't worked in a, a more sort of precise way. I'm curious for you all, what did you try with blockchain that worked really well and what did you try that didn't work and you had to sort of adjust course? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, so... I'll say this, the stuff, the stuff that worked really well was the community driven storytelling, like inviting the community into the canon. And again, when we launch these projects, it's like, we're not launching projects that are a PFP. And then from there, let's go build out. And no, that's a way to do it. That's not how we've done it. But there are projects where it's like, here's a picture and then we're all going to buy an NFT. And then we're going to take these pictures and then turn it into something. Our approach has been, we're going to have a canon. We're going to have these 
very talented, at least as a starting point, writer, voice talent attached to these projects. We're going to launch it. And that's going to be almost a prompt for the entire community. And then we're going to let everybody come in, use that as a starting point, and then help figure out where we take this thing, where the characters go, where the first season goes, what new characters spinoffs. I mean, gimmicks, I think, is a good example of we, the second season fully came from the community. So we did the first season and it was like gimmicks is like, best way to describe it, it's like South Park meets WWE. And then what happened was, is we had a character called Chico the Luchador. And in that first season through the wikis, everybody, and it's sort of like the Sherlock Holmes mind map where you see the strings and they all point to one character. That's what we saw happening with Chico the Luchador. It's like everybody was writing about how their character was like related to him or a friend or foe or whatever, but it all went back to Chico. And we're like, that, there's something there. So we took all that essentially fan fiction. That is the second season. So second season of the gimmicks was called House of Chico. It was the first all Latino animated series in Web3 and it came from the community. So to me, that I think is a great success because like, look, and look, we let the community participate and they helped us come up with it at the second season, which was another hit. And I think the social layer probably is the other part of it. Like this idea that we had a social layer where people, it's funny, but it's on theme, like the dick punch where you can get social cred, you can vote with that, you can send each other DMs. And I think that social layer is so important because it brings, and I think it all probably comes back to utility. And it's like our projects have this kind of utility about co-creation in, in the community. So I think that's the sort of the biggest positive. I didn't get to the book. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no I think <laughs> the, you covered both, right? Yeah, okay. The challenge, I, but yeah, I think that's, no, I did. I did. Yeah. 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 You yeah. covered both. I think at the same time that this is all quote, a giant experiment, you've really been a pioneer here. And I find what you've done at this intersection of AI and blockchain and, and entertainment remarkable. And I'm really excited to see where you go next with that. I also think there's an element of controversy in terms of what you're into, if, if like this whole room was full of your community, everyone would be like cheering right now, but we're in the middle of a writer's strike. And I just saw a story a few hours ago that the actor skilled is, is thinking of joining the team. Yep. If there are a bunch of writers in the audience right now, I think they would be a little bit intimidated by this idea of the potential of, of crowdsourcing content and then potentially having your audience turn into your your actors too i guess in some extent especially with animation i'm sure you have a lot of friends that are writers yep. and you've thought about this a lot and you certainly are embracing technology i just wanted to get your perspective on the writer's strike and and what we can expect as an outcome here in coming months yeah that's a big question there's a lot to unpack but <laughs> i mean so on the first part of it is the so the embracing, so how creatives and writers can embrace community involvement. I think we have, again, with our projects, two great use cases. So I'll take the gimmicks. And this is what I enjoy about our projects is these are live. This is not theoretical. It's not conceptual. These are live case studies and they're out there right now. And so for our first project, it was written by David Wright and Dave Eilenfeld. They wrote for Family Guy and Star Trek Lower Decks. So they were the guys that did the gimmicks. Now, talented, successful writers, they came in and they embraced this idea of, hey, we're going to let the community come in and play with the story, play with the characters. And I'll tell you, it's a balance. And I think it is a mindset that I think people, and if there's a top-down philosophy, there's a bottom-up, and there's something where I think you do both. I think studios traditionally have been top-down where it's like, here's the thing and it goes out and we're not going to let the community play with it, touch it, do fan fiction. 
I know there's some outliers, but generally that's kind of the approach. There's the other approach of where it's going to be 100% bottom up, where it's like the community is going to drive everything. Our approach is a combination of the two, where we start kind of top down, we bring the community in bottom up, and we let it sort of interact together. And I think it's something where creative storytellers, and honestly, I think it is something where you need to get used to, because the thing I would say is that younger audiences, and as I said, but spoiler, like I'm Gen X, right? So I don't fall in the Z and Y class, but younger audiences, and I think it still even applies to my generation to a certain extent, are now being accustomed to active engagement. And you don't need to look anything further than social media. And that's how we've been trained. It's like, I want to engage in some way, whether it's a like, share, follow, that's one level, or whether it's I want to get in and co-create and add to the narrative. I want to create my own stories. That is how younger generations, and, and I call it active engagement, that is what I think is the future. And I think to me, my advice is just be like, get comfortable with that notion because I think there's a lot of success and potential to be had there. And the other thing I'd say is it doesn't mean that you have to give up your creative vision because again, Space Junk, Dominic Russo, he's the creator of Workaholics. That's a very well-known, successful series. He's done the same thing. And these guys are the quarterbacks. And I think one of them, I think it was David Wright had this like, he's like, great example of like, as the creative quarterback, it's like going to the airport. Like, you know where the airport is, but guess what? There are a lot of different ways to get to the airport. And so I think as long as you have a strong creative vision that's driving, hey, I know I'm going to get to the airport, but there are all these sort of different ways I can get there. And they're like detours and things. And there's some like great detours to take and you can learn something from those things. And so I think being comfortable with that notion, but still saying, hey, I'm going to take the vision here, but being open to that kind of like interaction. I think it's weebly biased, but I think that's key to success. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com it's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white-label marketplace, as well as our highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe, it's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht.
I want to give this very engaged audience a chance to ask some questions, but I have one more. So if you're out there, think about what your question is and we'll definitely try to get to it. What are other nascent technologies you're exploring and how does like the Apple announcement that just kind of went down make you think about your industry a little bit differently? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so as far as other nascent, and we started talking about AI, but the other thing I'd say AI is like, and so AI is polarizing. There's no doubt. I've been places where I've been lauded for talking about AI and I've been places where I've been assaulted, not physically, but digitally assaulted for things of, you know, (laughs) about AI and what we believe. But I think AI to me is a transformative technology. Like I think the comparison I use is the printing press, right? So there's a lot of conversation around AI taking everybody's job and replacing human beings. To me, that's an extreme, very extreme narrative. And you actually rewind, and this is interesting, the printing press was invented in 15th century. So you're looking at 600 years ago, an interesting narrative, 600 years ago, people were talking about machines taking their jobs, a la the printing press. And now you fast forward, what happened with the printing press? Well, actually, more jobs were created than replaced. More industries were created than replaced. And a lot of people would actually attribute the printing press to the Renaissance. So that's history has said that. So I think this idea of like, we have new technologies and they're going to open up new ways of stories. They're going to open up opportunities for new storytellers. I think that is, to me, sort of big promise. And the Apple question you had around the Vision Pro... I don't know. That's like, to me, Apple has been transformative in my life. Like you talk about, I think it was Steve Jobs. They're talking about, they went from personal computing to mobile computing now to spatial computing. And I know the first two were transformative for me because personal computing, when I got my first word processor, changed my life. And again, I'm Gen X, but I'll never forget that feeling of like, oh my God, now I have a word processor to do these kinds yeah, of things. I mean, immediately when I think of Toonstar, I think about using this headset to be your character, interacting with other characters, interacting with the actual like yeah. characters in the show yeah. and actually like participating in a live version eventually yeah. of the making of the next episode. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think there's like, and, yeah, and I think they're like very, I think again, like I, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, and I think there's, I think the potential of it, I guess, you know, the point I was going to make about Apple is I just, to me personally, I'm biased, but I wouldn't bet against Apple because I've seen what they've done with those future iterations. And I do think this is probably the thing that gets us closest to that. And again, it's version one, but it's I do- It's expensive and it's yeah, big, but yeah. it could lead to many things just like the first computers, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think Bob Iger made an appearance, and there's no coincidence, he made an appearance at the conversation they were having about the Vision Pro. And I think the reason is like, yes, there are a lot of applications to what you can do with entertainment. Yeah, so exciting in theory. Cool. Does anyone in the audience have a burning question? Let's see a few hands raised. First off, this is really fascinating because at the advent of the writer's strike, because they're losing royalties, perpetuity, and with the advent of blockchain technology, that can change, uh, bring it back, but more for decentralized People that might not know that they're writers, but as they participate, they become writers. So my question is, does your production company have the infrastructure right now to pay out the users? And how is that infrastructure? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think that like use case you just said, like that's a great use case for the blockchain and that's what it's intended to do. So short answer is yes, like we have that infrastructure. So we not only have a tech production tech stack, but we now over the last like two plus years built Web3 tech stack. And basically what that is, is like we're building on these blockchains. So we've done projects on our first project was on Solana. Second project was on Avalanche. We just launched Space Junk is on Theta. We're going to do our next project later this year is on another chain. So we're building on all these different blockchains. And to your question, it's like, yes, like those blockchains are the things that record exactly what you're saying. And so I think there is promise with the combination of when you think about what you can do with AI and the blockchain or just creation, right? Like we have somebody in our community that creates a story and they create a backstory that actually is now on blockchain. And so there's provenance to the story they created. They own that. So now all of a sudden there's a record of that. And then if that monetizes, that's theirs. They own that. If that potentially ends up in as part of another story, there is a scenario where you can get royalties on what they've created and all that stuff is being recorded and tracked on chain. Same thing I think eventually can happen with, if you think about like using AI for voice performance or you use AI to like basically write a story, those models have to be trained by people. If you opt in to train a model and part of whatever you contributed becomes part of the output, now there's a scenario where you can actually get paid on wherever that goes because you had part of basically creating that final product. So it's almost like it is like an idea of like royalties, but it's like perpetual royalties. And then there's an interesting, you know, not to go too far on this, this tangent, but we were at this thing and it was Will I Am, which just talked about was this idea of essence. And you as a creator, what is your essence? And in music, there is a whole idea of like Prince, Michael Jackson, they have an essence and their essence is influencing other songs that are actually gonna get generated. So is there a way to take that essence and even though like maybe you're a living artist, but maybe you're not a living artist, but it doesn't matter if you have that essence and people want to use it and mix it and turn it into something else, then you should probably get paid for that. And it's almost, it potentially could become like a passive income. So these are all sort of like use cases that are kind of out there that are, again, like futuristic a little bit, but I would say not that futuristic. No, check out FYI.ai. That's Will's new company that he's very passionate about and doing a lot. And I think it's very relevant to where we're at right now. I think there was another question. We have time for one more. All right. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm curious if you could make the bet on, you mentioned you have a character that, that um, is a voice for AI. When do you think, if you could give me a guess on, on what, what year, do you have, you'll have two characters voiced by AI, written by AI, having dialogue <laughs> with each other? Okay, two characters having written by each other, having dialogue with each other dating each other's brothers, sisters, all that stuff. Yeah, so what year? And so, so I'll say like, I'll qualify that by saying like, whether it's us or somebody, yeah, I actually don't think that's too far off. I think that's something you see, I think you potentially could see that. That's a problem, predictions are always wrong, but I would say like, you could see that in a year, definitely. I mean, in fact, I think we were talking about that earlier. I think there's a dating app yeah. where you can create a, it's like a Tinder or a Bumble and you can create a digital version of yourself. Yeah, I just saw then, a demo last night okay, at a happy yeah, hour. Yeah, and so then the digital version of yourself can go hang out with someone else's digital version of themselves. And then they decide whether they like each other or not. And then if they do, then you can decide to meet in real life. But there's this like this interaction happening in the digital world that's in theory, I guess, is supposed to make it more efficient. Personally, I prefer to have that pain myself. Like yeah. that's you lose something in the but, but that's uh, yeah, like, it's all worth it, right? Yeah, all that yeah, pain when you yeah. finally do meet the right one. Right, right. But 
And then you don't have as many stories to tell your friends about the wrong ones either. Right. This has been really amazing. I learned a lot. I'm so appreciative of your time, John. Where can folks go to learn more about Toonstar and find you on the web? Yeah, so if you want to find our works, we're on the web. So it's it's Toonstar.com and you can check out our company there. Also, if you want to check out our projects, the first project is called therealgimmicks.com. So you can go there. And then Space Junk is on spacejunkies.xyz. But the best way to just Google gimmicks and Google Space Junk, and that'll get you to the websites. And you can go in there and like the content is not, is not token gated. So you can watch the content, you can watch the episodes. And then if you want to get in and vote, if you want to, now we're up to a cosmic dick punch. So if you're in Space Junk, you want to cosmic dick punch somebody, or you want to create your own character, your own backstories, or even get an opportunity to have a cameo in an episode, then you can purchase one of the NFTs and become part of the community. So that is a call to action if I've ever heard one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've reached the outer limit at the end of NFTs for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that'll make this journey also much better. Go to Spotify or iTunes, rate us right now and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Look us up on all major social platforms by typing Edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.